Good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to share for just a moment about our Christian Development Program classes that begin this Wednesday night and encourage you to be a part of this because this is how our church is structured to help you grow in the disciple-making process. There are three basic steps in what our church tries to do to build disciples. First of all, we worship in a large group. Second, we encourage you to connect with a small group, connection group that meets at 945 right after this. That's an ongoing group where you'll get to know people, connect with one another, also connect with the Bible. But the third step is a systematic plan of growth on Wednesday nights at 630. So this Wednesday begins level one. There are four levels to the classes like stair steps. Level one begins this Wednesday. So this is where you can get in on this. Uh, our new member orientation, and we ask all new members to attend this within a year after you join our church. So if you're a new member, uh, Cindy and I will be leading this four-week class that begins this Wednesday, and I want to encourage you to come and be a part of it. But uh, it's also for those of you who are not yet Christians, or you're not yet church members, and you're just learning about this and sort of feeling it out, and it's all new to you. So this is an introduction to the Christian faith and, and to our church. So each week we'll tell you everything we know about our church and we'll also go over basic Christian beliefs, assurance of salvation, how to grow as a Christian. And um, so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. If you're new here, this no obligation uh, just to sort of understand what Christianity is about or our church begins this Wednesday. Just come in the foyer and somebody will show you. 6.30 begins. So if you've already had membership orientation, we got two great classes on bringing up boys and bringing up girls. Both of those are four-week classes taught by couples in our church, parents. It's a James Dobson series. So if you need help with parenting, and if you're a parent, you need help with parenting, uh, then uh, I want to encourage you to come. Now, they're going to be offered uh, again a second time so that if you have boys and girls, you just go this Wednesday to whichever one you need help with the most. And then the next four weeks, it'll be repeated. So you could go to boys and girls, girls and boys. Got it? And there's also, if you don't have boys or girls, uh, then there's also a great elective on moving mountains, about growing in your prayer life. And those are all listed in your worship bulletin. But I just want to encourage you to get in on this because this is how our church is structured to help us be what God calls us to be as disciples of Jesus. Well, we're looking together at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 through 7 on Sunday morning. And we finished Matthew 5. Uh, and uh, this, this, the Sermon on the Mount is about how we're to live as disciples. How do you live the Christian life? What are you supposed to do after you become a Christian? We've seen that the theme of this sermon is live differently. Jesus calls us to live in a different way from the rest of humanity. Because we're followers of him, we're to be like the Father, so different from other people. In Matthew 5, we saw a different kind of righteousness or holiness. And we talked about things like anger and lust and divorce and remarriage and loving your enemies and not retaliating and keeping your promises. And we've seen it, so it's sort of the moral area. Uh, righteousness, holiness, morality. Now we're starting chapter 6, and it shifts a little bit. There are going to be two subjects in chapter 6 a different spiritual life, and a different relationship to the material world. We're going to spend four weeks on this chapter, Lord willing, so we'll spend two weeks on um, our church life, our spiritual life. And then we're going to spend two weeks on 
material life, your job, your money, your investing, the, your clothing, your food, and how would it be different in those areas. The theme that ties all of chapter 6 together, I'm just sort of giving you an overview of what's ahead here, the theme that ties it together is this key word, Father. Jesus is going to repeatedly refer to God as Father. Only 15 times in the whole Old Testament was God called Father. But when Jesus came, it was his favorite designation for, for God. And he referred to God as Father 170 times in the Gospels. Twelve of them in this one chapter. So in Matthew 6, 12 times Jesus is going to speak about our Father. And so he's going to, what he's going to say is, because he's your Father, when we get to the material world, you don't have to worry because he's your Father and he's going to take care of you about your money and your job. And now in the first half, because he's our Father, then church life ought to be offered up to him. So, let's begin in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going to talk about church life today. We're going to talk about church stuff. Now, let me say to you as we begin, I'm a church guy. I love the local church. Long before I was a pastor, I loved the local church. My parents took me to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's one of the best things they did for me. Parents, one of the best things that I believe you can do for your kids, you have them in church and it'll build that rhythm into their lives. It'll stick with them. Uh, I, I'm, the best things in life that ever happened to me happened at church. When I was 17 years old, this girl named Cindy invited me to a Christmas party at her church. And I said, okay. And I went to pick her up, and my dad's car had bench seats. And I opened the door, let her in, shut the door, went around, got in my side, and she had slid over in the middle. <laughs> the best things in my life have happened because of church, let me tell you. When my kids were born, one was born on a Sunday morning during church, one was born on a Wednesday night during church. It's just every, uh, I've just been connected to church. I love church. I think you ought to be a part of church. But what we're going to see in verse 1 is, what the devil would first like to get you to do is not go to church. But then if he can't do that, you know what he'll do? He'll make your church experience be about the wrong things and that you go for the wrong reason. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about here. So let's begin in chapter 6, verse 1 is the principle for the whole thing. He states it right away. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the principle right off is don't do religious acts in order to to be seen. That's the key here. See, the, the devil is subtle. Genesis 3.1 says he's, he's cunning, he is crafty, he's subtle. So he doesn't want you to be involved in church life. And so he'll do everything he can to keep you from being involved in church life. But then if you do get involved in church life, he doesn't quit on you. What he does then is try to twist your church experience and so that it is not for the right reason. So it's the wrong reason, and it becomes about pride, about you. So Jesus, here talking to church people, says to them, you've got to have a different kind of church life. Be careful, because it's going to be a danger in your life, in your church experience. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
Because if that's your motivation, if it's self-centered, if you want to impress people, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Russell Moore starts his book Onward by telling the story of an atheist friend he had in college. And a few years later, his atheist friend called him and said, can you help me find a Southern Baptist church? And he almost fell over. And he said, wow, have you become a Christian? This is great. And he said, no. He said, I'm running for office and most of the people in my district are Southern Baptists. I want to join a Southern Baptist church. Well, you see, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, right? And that's what he's talking about here. Be careful that it's not to be seen. So now he's going to give us three specific examples that follow the same pattern. First of all, number one, don't give in order to be recognized. Beginning in verse 2. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. We're not sure what he's talking about there, about announce it with trumpets. Uh, we're not, not sure it could be that they literally blew trumpets. When they got a large gift in the temple treasury, blow a trumpet, you know. Or the, the chess where you put your offering in the temple had these bell-shaped or trumpet-shaped openings. And, uh, of course, they didn't have paper money. It was all coins. And so if you really, you know, gave your, your offering a little, a little wrist action there, tinkling, ling, 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 you know, it would announce the, the giving, you know, to everybody when it rattles into that trumpet-shaped opening. We're not sure. Maybe it just means don't toot your own horn, you know, when you give. He said to be honored by others. Uh, there was a lady in church one time where I was who would always call me and tell me when she was helping people, tell me all about it. First time or two, I thought, oh, this is great. And about the third or fourth time, I thought, why is she calling and telling me this all the time? He says, don't do things to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Cindy was reminding me this week, it was a year ago this week, Cindy and I went to see an Eagles con, uh, reunion concert at the uh, uh, Skirmerhorn Center in Nashville. Uh, Cindy has a childhood friend who plays in that band, and so we were there a year ago, and that's, you know, I don't have a lot of culture, that's about the only time I'm in the Skirmerhorn, you know, when the, when the Eagles reunion is there. But I was waiting in the lobby, and they've got all these huge plaques there of all these givers President's Club givers and Gold Club and Premium Club. And the more you gave, the bigger your name is. And the, the smaller you know you gave, the smaller your name is. And he's saying when it comes to your giving to church, don't let it be about recognition. He says, because then you have your reward. But he says, the Father who sees what's done in secret. So you give anonymously, he says. And then he says that the Father sees Everything in secret in our lives. Our lives lie open before the Father. And He rewards you. Throughout this, He follows the same pattern. Each of these examples, He talks about you can have your reward from people or you can have your reward from God. The Bible talks about rewards. The Christian life is a rewarding life. Now, you're saved as a free gift. You don't earn salvation by doing these good things. Salvation is a free gift that no one can earn 
But when we receive the gift of grace, God in his graciousness rewards us for service that we do to thank him. And he's speaking here primarily of rewards in heaven. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Christian life is rewarding in this life in many ways. There is a joy and a purpose and a peace that comes from knowing Jesus. But in the life to come, it's even more rewarding as he rewards us for what we have done for him. Second example, same exact pattern, is about prayer. Don't pray in order to be recognized, verse 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Let me just say a word about hypocrites. This is the second time he's mentioned that word. A lot of people uh, have a problem with church because of hypocrites, right? Now, I don't want to go because there's all these hypocrites and, and it's, it's phony. Listen. Jesus hates hypocrisy too. He talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, there's hypocrisy. The devil is going to counterfeit anything that's real. And he's going to try to get you not to believe the real thing because of hypocrisy and counterfeiting. That's his strategy. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And so there's going to be hypocrisy. And Jesus here condemns that. But there's only, you only counterfeit something that's real, Right? You don't counterfeit $3 bills, right? You counterfeit something that is real and genuine. And so the, the counterfeit is of that which is genuine. So don't let hypocrisy keep you from church. Jesus is condemning it. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So they like to pray out in public. Jews had three times a day when they prayed, set time of prayer. Maybe some of these guys planned their morning walk where they got to the corner of Main Street. Oh, it's prayer time. Well, I better stop and pray here, you know, because they love the attention, the publicity of praying. But, but he says, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And the third example that he uses in this same pattern, don't fast in order to be recognized. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. In the, in the Old Testament, a sign of repentance and fasting was to put on sackcloth and to put ashes on your head. It was just a humbling yourself. You know, you were down in the dirt. You had ashes on your head and you didn't wear your nice pretty clothes. You just wore an old sack. And so it was a, a way of saying, I've, I'm humbling myself before God. But you can, you know, the devil can flip that around and make it a badge of pride. And so they were, when they were fasting, the Old Testament only commanded fasting one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Fasting, as you probably know, is going without food for spiritual purposes, to concentrate on the spiritual, to deny the physical so that you especially can pray or repent. So the Old Testament commanded fasting one day a year of the Jews on the Day of Atonement. But the New Testament says that the Pharisees fasted two days a week. And apparently they wanted people to know they were fasting so they would disfigure their faces or put the ashes on their head and then they would walk around, oh, it's tough, you know, but I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord, you know. And want you to know, it, well, he says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. 
Verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So he said, instead, you wash your face when you fast and, and put a smile on your face and don't look like you're hungry, you know. You're not doing it to show other people. And your Father who sees your motivation in your hearts will reward you. And most of us, as we read this, we, at least we, we get to this one and we say, well, I hadn't broken that one. I don't have to worry about that. I don't ever fast, so I sure don't do it for the wrong reasons, you know. Uh, and it sort of brings the question, should we fast? Should that be a part of our church life, of our religion? The New Testament never commands Christians to fast, but there are examples of fasting by the early church when they were going to send missionaries out, when they were seeking God's direction, they would have a time of prayer and fasting. So fasting is still a viable, spontaneous kind of thing for Christians that we say, I'm serious, I'm seeking God uh, in this. But the Bible says you don't do it for show of others. Let me share with you the takeaways from this passage. Number one, motives matter. Our motives matter. It's important what you do. You need to be in church. These three th examples are examples of religion toward others, giving. Religion toward God, praying. And religion about my own self and my confession of sin or repentance, fasting. There needs to be some religion in your life, church life. It's not enough just Matthew 5 to, I'm going to be a moral person. There's a God, a Father in heaven who deserves your worship. And there needs to be that. But why you do it is also important. And so, here's the tough truth. You can be very religious and still not please the Father. Sort of a tough word for us at church here on Sunday morning. But we need to look inside our hearts. We need to look inside our motives. God, what's the direction of my heart? Is it about somebody else? Is it about some self-centered attention? Is it about anything other than you? And Lord, I, that my motives are important. And, and so there are people in churches like us today who are not right with the Father. That's just the truth because these were among the most religious people of Jesus' day. And he said they've got their reward now in full. So let's look into our hearts today. And let's look into see our church life and see what it's about. And is it about pleasing the Father? Because motives matter. Now let me share with you a second takeaway. Other people need to see you worshiping and serving the Father. And if you're paying attention, you might think, what? Isn't that just the opposite of what you've been saying here all this whole time? But here's the deal. Remember, the devil is subtle. So here's what he'll do. He'll try to keep you out of church. He can't do that. So he'll get you to go to church for the wrong reasons, to be seen by others. And, and he'll, on the other hand, what he'll do is get you worrying about the, what I've just talked about. So you say, so I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to be like that. devil doesn't care which ditch you run off in. He just wants you in one ditch or the other. So here's what you know, can happen as you read this passage, how Satan and his subtlety can use it. You, you may be worshiping here today and uh, you... Raise your hands in worship. 
when we're, when we're singing. And then you think, ooh, that might just be so that other people could see me. I better not do that. You see how the devil wins either way? He gets you to do it for the wrong reason, or he gets you to pull back and say, I don't want to be seen, so I'm not going to, to worship God. You want to do it for the Father. You want to worship. Or praying. He just talked about praying here being in secret. Does that mean we shouldn't have public prayer? We're going to have a deacon come up here in a minute and, and, and pray because we want you to know our deacons and we want you to see them and identify these leaders. Jesus prayed in public. Daniel opened the window and prayed three times a day. So I'm saying you can get so hung up on this you go the wrong way. We need to, people need to see you doing acts of religion. If you're a father or a mother, your kids sure need to see you reading your Bible and need to hear you praying. That's one of the most powerful things you can do. We need that leadership. People need to see you and hear you praying. There's, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. We do tithing testimonies. He just talked about don't let your giving be, uh, it has to be secret. But that doesn't mean that you never say anything about that. We need people who are saying, I'm a tither. That's an important part of my life. That has helped me to grow, and it's part of my worship to the Father. So what's the deal here? Let me show you two verses we've seen. Because here's the problem. The devil will get you off on one side or the other. Let me show you both two verses we've seen already on one screen. Matthew 5, 16, Matthew 6, 1. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. You get it? People need to see you praying, singing, worshiping. We need to see these people up here. They're leading us. We want you to, be, want you to join the choir and be up there and you're a worship leader. You need to, they need to see your good deeds that you may glorify the Father in heaven. But the other side of it is, he says in Matthew 6, 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. How do we put those together? Here's my statement. You need to do good works before people, but not for people. You hear the difference there? He says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works. You need to be a leader in your family. You need to be a leader in your community, in your workplace. They need to see your good works. Leader in your connection group. They need to see and hear. You don't, don't let the devil keep you from leading in worship or being seen or praying in public. Do it before others, but not for others. You get the difference there? Here's my summary statement. Church life that pleases the Father is performed for an audience of one. You see, what we're about in church here is to point other people to Jesus. And so we're going to do it before them. But our worship, our singing, our praying, our giving, our attending is for the one who saved us. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. And I can never do enough to say thank you to him. And all of my singing, and all of my clapping, and all of my hands lifted, and all of my holy living, and all of my giving, and all of my coming and presenting myself before Him on Sunday would never be enough. 
to the one who has died and risen for me. He is my Savior and my hope and my life and my all that I do must be for an audience of one. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we offer our lives to you, and we want to examine ourselves now. You said be careful. So we want to be careful, and we want to look into our lives and make sure there's no hypocrisy, that there are no motives that are wrong. We want to make sure, Lord, that we know that subtle temptation to be applauded by others and, and then to try to please them. And, oh, Lord, we want to please you. We want our light to shine, but we want our hearts to be pure and our motives to be right. And so, Lord, we look deep within ourselves where you're seeing now, and we want your reward and your words, good and faithful servant. And we want to give our lives in worship to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me this morning? I'm going to offer you an opportunity to respond to the one who died and rose for you and commit your life to follow him. And we're going to ask you to step out in front of other people to be seen. Because Jesus said, if you confess me before others, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you're ashamed of me before others, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father in heaven. So we do a public invitation. We invite you just to walk forward to say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a church member. I want to follow Jesus. Uh, if you need a church home, you need to have a church life. Jesus is going to be talking in this chapter about church life. It's a part of what his will is for you. So we want to invite you to be a part of this church family. We're not perfect. We're imperfect, but we're a family of God seeking to serve him, and we'd welcome you into this family. You could walk forward and join uh, here today. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you about some things in your life. There'd be somebody here willing to pray for you, your family, whatever's going on in your life. Let's sing together as God speaks to you.